Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful sunny day. Let's all stand up and join and worship together with Joyful, the one who saves. Joyful, we adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before you, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Giver of eternal gladness, fill us with the light of day. You are the one who saves. You are the one who saves. You are the one whose hands lift us from the grave. You are the light of life, the everlasting day. You are the one who takes all our sins away. You are given. Fountain of the joy of living, ocean depths of happy rest. You are the one who saves. You are the one who saves. You are the one whose hands lift us from the grave. You are the light of life, the everlasting day. You are the one who takes all our sins away. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything I am. Jesus, you are my rescue. Jesus, you are my rescue. I give you everything. of the joy of living, ocean depths of happy rest. You are the one who saves. You are the one who saves. You are the one whose hands lift us from the grave. You are the light of life, the everlasting you are the one who takes all our sins away. You are the one who takes all our sins away. Yes, you are the one who takes all our sins away. Hallelujah. You may be seated. My name's Don. I'm a volunteer here at Liberty Lake Church, along with uh, Bill Gottfordson and Alan Ulmer. Bill and I follow Alan around. So if you're uh, interested in helping, uh, volunteering at the church, et cetera, et cetera, if you talk to one of us three, um, we have a lot of fun. Probably uh, more fun than we do work, but we enjoy it. Youth group is tonight at 5.30. Men's breakfast and Bible study is Saturday, October 10th. Wives aren't allowed. 
and there's bacon, there's sausage, there's eggs. Um, I mean, it, it's man food. So please come and join us on October 10th. There is Kids Rock today, so when they dismiss the kiddos, they can uh, head downstairs and enjoy children's ministry. I was going to be smart and say, uh, Deborah, don't don't send Sean down there. <laughs> if you're available to cook and serve in men's breakfast, show up at 7.30. And the best announcement of all I'd like to share with you, as I said a while back, these are tough times. And have you noticed how people even seem to be driving more aggressively? I mean, other than pastor. <laughs> It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eyes on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed in it, this message of salvation you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is a first installment on what is to come, a reminder that everything, excuse me, that will get everything God has planned for us, praising and glorious life. Won't you stand and join us as we sing, I Saw the Light, uh, followed closely behind by Because He Lives. <laughs> I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin, I couldn't let my dear Savior in.
God sent his son They called him Jesus He came to love Heal and forgive He bled and died To buy my pardon An empty grave is there To prove my Savior As he lives, I can face tomorrow, because he lives, all fear is gone, because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the Uncertain days because Christ lives, because He lives, I can face tomorrow because He. Father, for that blessed assurance that you died and rose from the dead, and that's where you remain on heaven, on high, um, in the heavenly places, and then, uh, as Ephesians says, you've lifted us up to be co-heirs with you and uh, sit with you, and that's that's a here and now and a not-quite-yet reality. It's the gospel, Father, and we love you for it, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Kids rock, you are dismissed.
Good morning. You guys hopefully got your communion stuff. We are doing communion. It's just going to be in a little bit. <clears throat> Had one of those great mornings and, and uh, realized something last week that I will uh, take care of. Uh, Sal and I, we, we did sell our house, but we're not leaving. I just thought I'd, I wanted to clarify that. Julie got a few phone calls this week going, what? What happened? And uh, at least I think, there was at least one, I don't know how many. All of you were calling Julie, it was like all week long, what is, no. Um, Sally and I, did, we, we, did, we are moving, we, we sold our house, and we have the privilege of building a new one for the first time, and so we're, yay! Many of you that have built houses are like, man, they're naive, but it's okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we love opportunities for growth. And that seems to be what God continues to do with us. So um, in light of that, we're, we're uh, actually staying with some friends of ours, uh, Don and Michelle Robinson. You guys know them here at church who live up north of Rathdrum. And um, we drove all the way down this morning. I realized I forgot my computer setting up there, plugged in with my sermon notes on it. Um, but that's okay because I have them printed and, and I have it printed. So we're going to be just fine. Uh, but in, in our mornings like that, don't we do really well when our schedules get messed up? Don't you guys, you perform well when your plans are just thrown out the door and everything you think that you are going to accomplish. It's just such a great opportunity to trust the Lord and to see what He does. And, and so that's where we're at um, this week. And I love the text, especially uh, just the way that uh, the text uses um, certain t- uh, styles of delivery. And, and today, this, it's kind of a sandwiched text uh, that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the... the the, the bread on the outside now. Um, last week, we actually looked at the beginning of, of Mark chapter 14, right, where we saw that the high priests and the scribes were beginning to plan to uh, try and trap Jesus and kill him, but they wanted to do it privately. So we have those two verses that just start off the, the story, and you're like, okay, so what then? And, and then the transitions right to this beautiful picture of Mary who is anointing Jesus in and amongst the disciples, and they're upset about it, and they have this dialogue, and Jesus goes to the point of even saying that she will be remembered, this moment will be told any time that the gospel is shared throughout the whole world. And there's this beautiful picture that we see, and then we wrap up that story, we finish it up, uh, or that this sandwich, this, this picture, it's really a contrast of how people are responding to Jesus, and particularly uh, within his 12 uh, disciples. But we actually see it in Mark chapter 14, uh, just verses 10 and 11 today. And I'll be honest, I I opened it up this week, and I thought, man, there's two verses. Am I just going to skip it? And, and go on to the next, you know, the next big section. And I, I began to study and, and, and started praying through and reading through the text. And by the time I got done, I had too much scripture for us to do in a half an hour. So we're going to just do the two verses this morning and and see how it goes. So um, join me with, if you would, in Mark chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, we got to remember, Judas is one of the 12, and they were looking for a way to betray, to, to actually capture or trap Jesus and kill him privately, they, which is amazing. How do, you, how do you get rid of a nationwide celebrity? If, I mean, it, he, was, he was a celebrity in their area, uh, well-known across the, the, the nation. We saw that in Mark, remember, um, when the disciples were talking about how the people were pressing into him, and, and Jesus goes, hey, who touched me? And they're like, really, Lord? That's hilarious. Uh, who touched you? Who hasn't touched you? I mean, that was the kind of pandemonium that was created when he'd go into a town. He couldn't find any private time. They couldn't even eat at times because there were so many people pressing in around him. And the fair, the, the scribes and, and high priests want to kill him privately. Uh, what, an, what an amazing and, and difficult task, but also interesting that the Judas in this process knows it and is aware of it. I, I want to take just a real quick second before we jump in too far. 
Because what's interesting about Mark is we don't see a lot of the detail. If you grab other passages, if you go and look at other accounts from our other gospel writers, you actually see more detail. And we're not going to expose all of the detail, but I want to show you something really, really neat. Or it's, it's good, it's incredible, about uh, the Bible. And, and it's one of the great things that I love about the text um, is that there's prophecy in the Old Testament that lines up with what's happened, what happens with Jesus that is well past a human's ability to, to plan it and execute it. It's outside of human possibility, which makes this a supernatural and amazing thing. Uh, the, the price of Jesus. In the text this morning, what did we see in verse 11? And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he went off and, and sought to betray him. But we know from other uh, gospel writers, that they gave him a specific price. What's interesting with this price, the price for Jesus, uh, we're going to look at two different Old Testament passages. One of those is in Zechariah chapter 11. So start turning in your Bibles to find Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11. And what we're, where we're going to pick up in the story is chapter 11 in Zechariah is this flock, the sheep that are doomed to slaughter, and, and the Lord sends Zechariah in saying, go and be a good shepherd, go and protect the sheep, and, and try and lead them out of this, this impending doom. And the first few verses as you go through that, he talks about this, this venture that he was on and how he actually gets rid of three of the shepherds, but they continue to resist him and they won't actually make the change. They won't allow this to happen. And so he says, fine, we're, we're not going to do this. And he breaks one of the staff, which is called uh, favor. And uh, he, he had two staffs, one favor, and I believe the other one was union. And we're going to pick up the story partway through as he's come to the end of his attempt to help the sheep and help the shepherds, and he's done, and he's walking away with this, and we see this prophecy that comes from the Lord, and it starts in verse 12. Zechariah, then I said to them, Zechariah 11, verse 12, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them, and they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I... Uh, which I um, was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Now, there's more prophecy, but I think one of the interesting things is here you have the Lord. Zechariah is going to do what he's been called to do to protect the sheep, to try and redeem them from their coming, this impending doom that's coming. And they're refusing his help. And in the midst of this, he says, fine, I'm done. Give me my wages. And they give him his wages of 30, silver, 30 pieces of silver. And then the Lord says, this is the wage in which they've given me, this princely wage. Here's this prophecy all the way back from Isaiah. What's crazy is that that's not really the prince's wage, is it? No. Because in Exodus 21, we actually see another reference to 30 pieces of silver. Which if you go back to Exodus 21, verse 32, we see this. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox will be stoned. And you say, Okay, what's the big deal? One of the things that is so intriguing to me in this process, we have Zechariah prophesying about the 30 pieces of silver, this princely uh, 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 price that's paid for him. And the Lord actually steps in and says, this is what they're offering for me. This is what they're paying for me. But when you go back to Exodus, you actually see that that was what was considered to be the value of the life of a slave. 30 pieces of silver. So... Did the high priests and the, and the, 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 the uh, scribes value Jesus? Did they see him as a high value? Was, that, was this a great price that, that Judas betrayed him for? From an Old Testament perspective, it was the price of a slave. Isn't that interesting that he says in his own words that the, that the greatest in his kingdom will be the servant of all? that he teaches from that perspective. And here he shows up um, with the wages of a slave or the, the betrayal price um, of the value of a slave. I just find that intriguing, and you can find it in the Old Testament. Why do I share that with you? Because when I'm struggling 
with understanding or even believing what God tells me, and I see these things, I'm reminded that he's outside of time, that he's supernatural, that we're not serving just a well-made story or a book that's well-written and crafted right. You guys have seen it, right? You watch movies or you read books, and there's ones that are really good, and then there's ones you're just like, ah, what was that? Right? We've, we've all seen it. There's a difference between them. Well, when we get into the Bible, we actually see a supernatural reality that, that spans time, outside of time. And, and this particular process of Jesus going to the cross and being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver is just one of those nuggets that you can go back into the Old Testament and see and realize. Now, I, I titled my sermon today, Betrayal from within, because Judas was one of the 12. Now, how many of you guys would hire Judas as your financial bookkeeper? Right, right, because we know what he's about, right? We have the history. We have, we have his track record in front of us. We can go back and look at it and say, that's not a very good idea. The problem is, Jesus did. Jesus did. In fact, not only did he call him to be one of the twelve, but look at what the, the gospel writer Matthew says in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Not only was Judas one of the twelve, Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Which one of those did not, was not given the power? It says all of them were given power over the spiritual things and over disease to heal and to cast them out. In fact, when you see later on in that text, you watch them come back from their missions trip. They're all like, whoa, this was so amazing. Look at all these things happen, and they're sharing these stories back and forth. You don't hear anything in that account of Judas going, that eh, didn't work. You would think if one of them was coming back with no success that you would have heard that and we would have discussed it, but it's not in there. Because it, he was given the same portion as the other disciples. And he was with Jesus, and he saw the things of Jesus, and he experienced these realities. In fact, uh, Jesus speaks of it in, this, in the context of, of Judas being lost. In John chapter 17. John chapter 17, starting in verse 6, he says this. This is Jesus speaking. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, not, excuse me, I am not praying for for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Here you have this picture of Jesus who who is protecting his disciples, who's giving them the words of of God, and he's directing them, even saying to the point that they know it, they believe it, they understand it, they're living it, they're doing all of these things. And he says, I haven't lost one, I've guarded all of them, and I've lost none except for the son of destruction. And he specifically references that the prophecy would be fulfilled that Scripture would be fulfilled. And so we have this an, another picture of prophecy that shows up, and you say to yourself, as I would think to myself, how did you, how? How did they miss this? How did they miss? Here's Judas in their midst, 
and, and he's somehow getting away with this stuff. Somehow they're missing this reality. Well, look what Jesus says in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, starting in verse 64. Jesus is speaking to a large group of disciples at this time, and his, the twelve are there, but he's speaking to all of them, and he says this, starting in verse 64 of John chapter 6, But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those who, uh, were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Do you guys struggle with that at all? Did you you hear what the text says, right? He knew from the beginning that Judas was going to do this. He knew from the beginning, and yet Judas still received a portion. Judas still received the same love, the same words of God, the same... uh, 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 He received responsibility. He got to carry the purse. I mean, if we had a problem child in our group, you don't give them, you don't give them responsibility. You, you put them in a confined space until they learn to behave. You know, that's probably what they wanted to do with me when I was a young man. Judas was one of the twelve, and he was chosen by Jesus, given by God. Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, and he still did it. He still obeyed his father, and he still loved Judas like he's loved you and me, like he's loved the world, even while we were enemies and sinners. Let's just be honest. I I couldn't do that. I couldn't. I just don't know that I could love somebody knowing that they were going to be the ones to betray me. That is incredible to me that that's the love of Jesus, that that's the obedience of our Messiah. That's the Christ who said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross for you and for me. And the world. John 3.16 says the whole world. So what happened? What happened to Judas? You guys have that... Uh, the real strong Calvinistic view that it, it is what it is and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Those who are called are going to be in heaven regardless of whether you give them the gospel or not. Or you're more on the Arminian side, which is the free will, which means you know the real extreme free will. You can lose your salvation if you don't do it right all the time. You've got to really work at it all the time just to make sure that you're going to get in. Where do you guys land? Let's not discuss that this morning. <laughs> Probably a little bit too much for today. But just imagine for a second, if you will, with me, that here you've got, you've got Judas, and he's one of the twelve, and all of us are thinking in our heads, if I was that guy, I, would have, I wouldn't have done that. Okay, maybe some of you aren't that righteous in your own hearts. But at some level, don't we think, how could he have betrayed Jesus if he was one of the twelve and he had the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit given to him as a portion for Christ? How is it that he betrayed him? Yeah, we have fulfilled Scripture. But I think you also see a pattern that it shows up in his life that every one of us should be very, very aware of. Watch what happens. One of the very first things that I think we can point out or see in this process is that he covered sin and he gave opportunity for the enemy. Watch what we know about Judas, right? John chapter 12, verse 6. Right back to our story about Mary baptizing or anointing Jesus. Remember last week? In the Gospel of John, we actually see it's laid at Judas' feet as the one who started this discussion. Hey, why was this oil being wasted? We should give it to the poor. John chapter 12, verse 6 tells us what Judas was really thinking. 
He said this not, this is John chapter 12, verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas's heart was, he was stealing from the money bags that were given to Jesus to give to the poor. He was in the process of being a thief and stealing. Look what Paul says, Ephesians 4, 25-32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see in Paul's encouragement to the believing church, he actually puts in there, do not steal. He includes in, that, in, that, in all of those things of anger and attitude and conflict and bitterness and rage and all the stuff that's happening, what looks like a, a, a bunch of attitude issues he has in there, let the Steve, uh, thief steal no longer. Go and do honest work. Encouraging us not to make a place or give the devil an opportunity by allowing these things to exist, by, by engaging in them and continuing in them. I believe that one of the things that happens to Judas is happens to every person that allows sin to stay unchecked and unconfessed in our lives is that we give an opportunity to the devil. We open the door. Look at John chapter 13. We continue to see how the progression works, I believe. As we open the door, as we give opportunity, the devil has no problem making a suggestion. John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to, be, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This picture of Jesus taking on the role of a servant, did you see what he said, what what, what, what uh, John says about the heart of Jesus. In verse 3 says, Jesus, knowing the Father had given, him all, had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper to serve his disciples, whom he loved and who he knew one of them was going to betray him. Here's this incredible picture of Jesus knowing that, this, that the enemy had already put into the heart of Judas this betrayal act, and he faithfully loves him in the midst of this and continues to serve his disciples because God was sovereign, and he, and he accepted that, and he knew it. But did you see what happened to Judas? He was stealing money, given opportunity to the devil, and then Satan came and put it on his heart. At some point in this process, I don't know when, at some point in the process, the enemy put it on Judas's heart to betray Jesus. Look at John, I believe it's 13, 21 through 30. We see at the end of this dinner experience, they're sitting down at the table, and Jesus addresses the disciples again. In uh, chapter 13 of John, in verse 21, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked 
at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. You, you, you see that? The guys didn't even have a clue who it was that was going to betray him. One of his disciples, verse 23, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask of whom he was speaking so that the disciples, the disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what are you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that just because Judas had the money bags, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I believe that what we see happen in Judas, yes, he was fulfilling Scripture, and the prophecy was pointed at his heart, knowing how he was going to respond to this life, but he left sin unchecked in his life. He covered it up, and he, did not, he, he was not taking care of sin at all, and in that process, he gave an opportunity to the devil, and as it grew and matured, it resulted in Satan actually taking possession of him. He entered into him and directed him in this process. Isn't that interesting? One of the twelve. One of the twelve. How close do you feel to Jesus? How close do you feel to God? I would think in my personal life, if I was sitting around the circle eating with him, that'd be about as close as I could get. At times, don't you feel like that? Oh, Lord, if only, if only I could sit in your presence. If only I could see you or hear you. I, I would probably respond better. Maybe. Many of his disciples left at this point. Now, here's the, here's the caution, right? Uh, I don't know how many of you guys would love to blame Satan for everything. I wish we could. I would love to blame him for everything. Every bad thought. A speeding ticket. Wouldn't that be awesome? If an officer pulls up and says, Sir, do you know what you're doing? The devil made me do it. Wouldn't that be cool? And then if they accepted that, well, we're writing him another ticket then. Look at what James chapter 1 says. And I know you're like, ah, oh, not that one. Do we really have to go there? I don't know what else to do with this. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What's the process? Sin attacks me in my own heart. When my desires, my human fleshly desires, see something that they want. That's when it starts. And then what do we do with it? Well, if we cover it up, if we do what Judas does and we cover it up and hide it from everybody, then we create an opportunity for, for the enemy, for the Satan. And that sin festers and it grows. In fact, it's interesting, I can't, it's so goofy, I had the text, I thought I had it written, I went in here and read it, and I, I got the wrong one. But we actually see in James, um, maybe, it was Pe maybe it was Peter, I probably put in the wrong one. But it says that the, the enemy roams around looking for who he can devour. That's, our, that's Satan, that's our enemy. He's looking for an opportunity to devour us. In fact, what's so crazy is that when you look at Job, and you actually see the fact that Jesus or God is standing there talking with Satan, Job, or Satan goes, well, yeah, he's worshiping you and because you protect him. And so even in that picture, we know that when the, when he, the enemy is attacking or we are under attack from him, at some level, God's allowed it. 
I know that that doesn't fit really well with good soft Christianity, but it sure looks like that's what the text says. And he has a purpose for it. But our tendency is to try and blame Satan for all of these things. And yet it's really my heart that takes me off and gets me on the wrong track. It's our hearts that are desperately wicked. We looked at that in Jeremiah. It's our hearts that lead us into that spot. And it's our desires. So what do you do with that? Isn't it awesome that that God was gracious enough to actually give us an answer? Yes, it is awesome. It's a good thing. Because we have incredible hope in Christ that, that although it is my heart that is what wants to wander and it's my heart that desires these, the, the evil things of this world, it's the work of Christ on the, on the cross that's starting to change my heart from, as the Bible calls it, rock and make it a heart of flesh and starting to make it a heart that beats after God. But look at what he says in, in it's 1, John, 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 7. What we do is we repent and confess. When we see these things, when we see this reality, we need to repent and confess. Verse 7 of chapter 1 in 1 John, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. I think it's interesting that even in 1 John, he references that when we are dealing with this stuff, when we recognize our sin and we're addressing the sin, it allows us to have fellowship with one another. There's another passage that... that I like, kind of, and I'm wrestling with it, and I, I want to try and be honest in, in my approach to it. It's James chapter 5, verse 16. I have this big ending to James, and he's encouraging the believers, and he throws in this verse. Verse 16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You know, one of the things that uh, the Judas did was he covered up his sin. How many of you guys really like to just expose your sin and admit, yep, I'm a sinner? This is what I did this week, and I know it doesn't honor the Lord, and da-da. None of us do, do we? I hate that stuff. Hate it. You guys, every now and then I realize, shoot, i got to share that on Sunday because it's safe and I can do it. None of you will kill me. Somehow Judas is next to God. He has a portion from Jesus. Yes, he's prophesied about in the Old Testament. We know that. And it's going to happen. And God in his sovereignty knew the heart of Judas. But there was a decision that Judas made in his own life as well at some point to choose to sin. And we, it's so amazing to me. If you actually go through and look at issues about the thief, Jesus himself talks about not stealing anymore. Paul's talking about not stealing anymore. It was part of his teaching. Can you imagine Judas is sitting there in the Bible study counting the, morning, uh, counting the money and Jesus goes, stop stealing. Stop stealing. Let the thief not do that anymore. He was hearing it from Jesus as well in his own teaching. And yet, he betrays Jesus from within inside the twelve. Probably no greater betrayal than to have it happen within your closest group of friends, right? Many, many, many of us have experienced that. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons some people hate church so much. I don't know how many times I've interacted with people who have talked about the church and the devastation that they've experienced by betrayal within the church. I wish that was a good excuse to not be part of the church. But unfortunately, it's not. Jesus gives us the example. He models this, loving them, even knowing what Judas was going to do, and modeling all that, and then telling us to love in the same way. And then James has the audacity to say that we should confess our sins one to another. I believe in my heart 
that how we deal with the attack of the enemy, how we deal with the, the blackness of our hearts at times is that we find relationships. We, we trust one another enough to share those things and, and, and to expose those issues so that the enemy doesn't have a foothold. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, how mold grows? You cover it up, some of it. I know some of them like light. It's the weirdest thing. How God did all of this stuff is just, it, it, we need scientists, I guess, to figure it out. It's amazing. But some of the worst mold that you find in your house is covered up. It's hidden behind the walls. It's got a little bit of moisture and just sits there and, and permeates the, the area and grows. In fact, when Sally and I bought our last home, the one we just sold, we got rid of all of the mold. But the center wall in our house, it was from ceiling to, from the, the bottom of the first floor all the way down to the concrete on the second floor. And we're like, wow, we're just going to do a little remodeling. And we started pulling off drywall. And just I'll save you the, 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 there was stuff coming down the wall from the upstairs bathroom. That wasn't supposed to happen. The upstairs bathroom had a new floor in it. Had a hardwood floor. They'd, they'd done all kinds. They like just redid that. It was all hidden underneath. And what we found in the basement, we had to, we had to take drywall off uh, throughout a huge section of the house to try and get all of the junk out of there. We even found it creeping across the rafters in the ceiling of the basement. It's amazing how it moves and, and, and grows. And I believe sin is much, much like that. If we keep it covered up, if we, if we don't allow the light of the gospel to expose it, it just grows and grows and grows. And we continue to give opportunity for the devil in our lives in those moments. So I know all of you are going to run right out this week and find somebody to confess your sins to. <laughs> no, the first thing you're going to go is, are you sure he's right? Is that really what the Bible says? I dare you to go and look. The gospel's true. And the reality of Christ's death does change our lives. But I think that uh, the design of relationship, the intentional design of making the church be the body of Christ, a bunch of messed up people who are trying to figure it out on our own, to have to interact together with one another and screw it up and have to ask forgiveness and apologize and forgive one another. What a mess. And yet it was his design. It was by design. The creator of the universe that knew about the heart of one man in the future who prophesied about his betrayal of, of the Messiah hundreds of years, thousands of years ahead, he prophesies about this reality, and yet, and we look at him, we're like, yeah, but the church was a bad idea. This whole being dependent on one another and confessing our sins to one another and, yeah, not interested. Isn't that amazing? Don't you guys ever get, you, you wonder to yourself, why am I challenging God on his design? No, you guys don't. I do. I, I do that all the time. What happened? I believe Judas followed the desire of his heart, gave opportunity to the enemy, and the devil came in and fulfilled, finished, completed the sin that had started with the, with the desire. He covered it up and hid it. And it resulted in the fulfillment of prophecy. What is our response? I want to remind us, let's not blame Satan for everything. Let's deal with our hearts. Let's deal with where, where we're sin, where we have sin, where we have the, the black desires of our hearts. Let's deal with those. Let's confess them to the Lord and confess them to one another. In fact, it's interesting as we go, as we finish out the text, you'll actually see Judas is guilty, feels guilty about this, and he goes back to the priests and gives them back the money. Make it right. Unfortunately, he went to the wrong priest. Uh, the confession should have been to Jesus. 
The repentance should have been to God himself. We celebrate today in communion the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's what we do in communion. The Messiah who knew his betrayer when he was called fulfilled and obeyed the word of God to complete for us a transaction that we were incapable of making. We didn't even know that we needed it. We were still his enemies. We were still his sinners who were bent. uh, I mean, we didn't even exist. And yet that Messiah gave up his own life, gave up his own will. We know in the garden, he says, not my will, but yours be done to, to become the sacrifice, to become the new covenant in his blood that gives you and me access to the throne of God, to the forgiveness and righteousness of God. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. That's what we remember and we, we proclaim in his name is his death, his burial, and his resurrection that results by the grace of God and the righteousness of those who will believe and follow Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he broke it, he had given thanks. <clears throat> Excuse me, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I'll take the wafer. Father, I am painfully aware even today that I do not comprehend in, in, in full reality what it means for my Savior, for my God to come and willingly lay down his life to pay the price that I could not pay, an innocent death for my guilt. I do not see sin the way that you see sin. I am not horrified and wrecked. As we see the picture of Daniel as he comes before your holy throne, your holy presence, and he is undone. God, I do not respond that way and I want to. I want to know that reality more clearly, that that when... The, when the evil desires, when the, the, the passions of my flesh arise, God, that it would, it would come into stark contrast to who you are, and I would be appalled. Not just sorry, not just feel guilty, but appalled by those things. And that my only response would be to be on my face in confession and repentance before a holy God. God, as we thank you for your body, for the bread that represents your physical death, your body that you gave for us on the cross. Father, we want to exalt you for who you are in in establishing a, a way that through Jesus we would come to be heirs and sons and daughters of you. So we give you praise this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to see the reality of the darkness of our sinful heart and therefore the reality of the glory and grace that you exist in and that you share with us. Oh, that we would glorify your name. Verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11 says this, In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. Heavenly Father, again, we exalt your name. We We want to praise you today because through your son's death and burial, 
and resurrection through his blood, the innocent blood of the perfect lamb, the sacrificial lamb. Our sins can be forgiven and washed away. 1 John 1.9, you say that when we confess him, you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, as we take just a minute this morning to be reminded of that truth, to worship you in our own hearts, I pray that you would overwhelm us with that reality of your grace and that you would confront us with the reality of our sin, that we would see you for who you are. To the best of of the human frailty that we have, our our finiteness on this earth, that we would see you and, and, and worship you and fear you as we should, as the holy God that you really are. We thank you and praise you this morning. May you be glorified in the worship of your people as we follow you and obey you this week. In your name, amen. Won't you join us in our final song of Beautiful? Beautiful.
You are beautiful, Lord, and we love you, and uh, we thank you, and we praise you. And I pray that with the unity of the body, your bride, that we would come together and just confess. There's something weighing on our heart, on our mind. It is a good thing to confess, which is so opposite to the world, where even just an inkling of any, any darkness or secrets I may have in my heart to let it out. It's unheard of, absolutely unheard of. But in your kingdom, it's reality. It's the truth, and it's life. And uh, you, you already know it, so you call us to uh, confess and be healed from it. That's the promise, is that we'd be healed. And uh, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.